Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk. Hi, Michael. How are you doing today? Barry, I'm good. Excited to see you. Excited to talk about a little bit of technology in the classroom again. How are you? I am doing well, and I'm also excited to continue the discussion that we started in our last episode about, I think the general rubric is how digital learning, digital digital equipment, digital technology has um, transformed our experience as teachers. And in particular, we were focusing on Zoom and the opportunities and crises uh, created by online learning, um, by Zoom learning, by the Zoom platform. But I think we, in, in the process of doing so, I think we also invoked the, the idea of the Pharmacon because I think we ended up, as we often do, saying that Zoom technology was another example of the Pharmacon, that it allows certain possibilities in the classroom, that in the classroom experience, in the educational experience, that weren't um, possible before. At the same time, perhaps closing down some possibilities that were possible, maybe perhaps, and this is one of the things we were thinking about, uh, closing down whether or not Zoom was also perhaps closing down certain possibilities um, for education, for learning, that could only have occurred in the face-to-face classroom. And I think, I think that was one of the cruxes of our discussion last time, whether or not we needed to have bodies in classrooms, quite mm-hmm. literally, to have learning. So um, I know you wanted to um, begin our, uh, to continue the discussion by talking about your experience a particular experience you had in designing a course was that it sort of i um you know i i think that when we were talking about the uh tech you know digital technology in the classroom as a pharmacon it got me really thinking about you know what what does the pharmacon look like like and what where, where's the cure where's the poison right and as i started to go down this rabbit hole a little bit the advantages of these technologies are, are, you know, pretty well documented, pretty widely understood, right? They're easy. They provide access. They're convenient. Um, this whole host of arguments about the, the, the wonders of um, digital technology and, 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 and how that's affecting education. But it also got me thinking about, okay, so what's the cost, right? Like what, what exactly is it that we're losing out on when this, and we had talked last time about the need for bodies in the classroom and the the effects of presence and what that does. But I also got thinking about, you know, some of the the, the more subtle costs that we see in terms of attention, uh, focus, depth. And one of the things we, we had talked last time about the Lewin article, right? So this is the um david lewin and yeah what was the the, the title of this for those we'll put it in the show notes the, the we'll pharmacon the yeah the pharmacon of educational technology the disruptive power of attention in education mm-hmm. and he makes a lot of really interesting observations about what technologies do in terms of our attention and this is 
built upon the premise uh, that, you know, our technology, and he's clear about this, that, that our technologies are not neutral, right? That they have an effect on how we see, and in this case, what and how we attend to. And so in thinking through this, he, he, make, well, he makes this, this distinction between learning and education. And I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, but my, if I was to rephrase this or reframe it, this to me is the difference between memorization and like apprehension of a concept. Like I, I can, I, I, I know what this says, but do I understand what this means? And um, I think that what's happened, so that, let, let's stop there for a second. When we talk about the distinction between learning and education, mm-hmm. how do you see that? Is that? You- well, that's interesting, Michael, because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm friendly to your argument that one way of thinking about, and I agree with you, I think one of the most interesting things in Lewin's piece is his attempt to isolate learning, which he kind of assimilates to commodification and to corporate forces in the classroom, because he talks about yes. learn. He doesn't just talk about learning. He talks about there is a new, he, he describes, I think correctly, the, the rise of the learnification culture, of a learnification culture, a culture that kind of makes learning automatic uh, in the classroom. And he opposes that to, as you say, education. Uh, I have, a, do you want to add something to no, that? No, no, I have a way going. to, well, I just want to, um, I was just going to, so your way of thinking about it is the difference between uh, that the difference between education and learning can be, you know, an example of that would be the student who memorizes something as opposed to the student who is able to not just know, who not only knows an idea, but is able to critically apply it, to critically utilize it. Um, I think another interesting, I, you know, I think that's right. Um, the way I uh, apprehended, I, I sort of caught on to what Lewin was saying about the new connection between learning and commodity processes or consumerism. And so this is how I started thinking of the difference between learning and education that learning as opposed to education. So on on one hand, there's education, which is a process. It's another thing about the education as he defines it is that it happens as a part of a collective experience. You're a student among other students interacting with a teacher. But Um, there's also, I don't mean to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but I I think that implicit in this, and this is important to tease out, is that there's a critical nature to this. Right. Not only are you a part of a student body, but you are critically engaged with those. And that's. Yeah. Right. So as I. Yeah. No. Do you want to add more? No, I just was that. That's exactly I I think that well describes what Lewin is uh, Lewin's picture of education. So education is this social process. And because of the socialization that you noted, because of that social process, there is a way in which you can critically apply ideas. That's absolutely right. So how is learning opposed to this? Well, it seems, I mean, the way I was thinking about it is is that yes, memorization could be a part of it, but it's also this idea that you are kind of following your own 
desires to learn. Following your, and, and the problem with following your own desire to learn, is, and, and this I think is what Lewin is pointing out, the problem with self-directed education of the sort that the learnification culture is promoting is that it too easily gets conflated with the desire to buy stuff, to do, to aggregate things for yourself and not participate in a collective, and not participate in a process. You're just doing shit for yourself. So that's one way of, uh, so that's one way I had of gloss, that, that was my way of glossing the learning education distinction. I, I think that that's, Right. And I think that it touches on a crucial element that I certainly want to kick around for a second here. So if we think about, anyways, the distinction between learning and education, one of the places where that gets muddled a little bit, right? There's a number of places. I think we have social concerns. There's physical concerns here. There's economic pressures here that say, hey, you know, we it's you, you know how to regurgitate this you can fill in the correct bubble on a scantron sheet you are and you're done and you're on done. the way to becoming vocational and, yeah exactly and the idea right is that education is this thing to be obtained it has been reduced exactly. to a good right as That's opposed it. as opposed to a process and i think that this perspective which for those outside of education i understand Mm-hmm. All right, I don't like it, but I can see how people but you get see there. How it happened, because yeah. what what is education essentially distilled? It's distilled down to a report card, right? Yeah. When you're a little kid, you bring your report card home, and if it's good, if you got what you were supposed to get, A, B, whatever, right? Then you got something back in many cases, right? Oh, I got a good report card. I got this, you know, X number of dollars or I get to go this place or whatever. So education has become transactional. And so- That's the word, that's the key word. when, When we see it as transactional, right? The questions that we have on the negative side of the Pharmacon coin, questions about attention, right? About focus, about depth of learning are really hard to see. Because if you're going to talk about, do you understand two plus two, it's four, but can we really have a conversation about the depth of four? We can't, right? So there's a failure to understand the nature of the pharmacon in education. Because we're only just filling out what you're saying, because we have focus on learning as opposed to education. And because, which means that we're so focused on the object of education and attaining a goal that we we can't talk about process. And filling in with what you just said, because we're no longer talking about process, we can't talk about the means or the ends or the purposes of education. Right, because we're only been, talking they, about process. Because they've because been we dist- can't talk about it. Right, yeah. they've been distilled to this single point. We, we, exactly. we the, the two exactly. terms right. which should be Right. right. Learning should be a component of your education. But what has happened is learning has become synonymous with education. Absolutely. And as it's a become res- the good, the object that you, the students expect to receive at the end of the learning process. Right. Ab- absolutely. And so what's happened is we fail to see the pharmacon. 
right? It, it, it has no longer become right. poison or cure. It has become a thing to have. And so I was thinking about this, right? This was, that was a, you know, whatever, a 10 minute <laughs> explanation of the thought. But um, I know you don't do this or haven't done this, but where I teach, there is a big focus on online education. Um, this predates Zoom. Um, so this, this is, predates the pandemic, just to be clear. Yes. Um, it, Michael, it, this predates the pandemic. Right. And so, this, and, and, and this is asynchronous learning. And so uh, I think we talked about this in the other episode, but just to, you know, as, as, a, as a refresher here, basically in this model, what happens is I'll go into a course shell, a website, and I will post readings, questions, assignments. Um, I will stack these in a sequential order so that first you read this and then you think about it and you write this and then you respond to somebody else right i mean this is pretty standard nothing in here is 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 revolutionary and then we finish module one and we go on to module two with the assumption that you have taken what you need and you can now progress so as a part of this uh so i design my own courses and as a part of being able to design my own courses. I had to go through this training class and I got to thinking about it in light of the discussions that we've been having about the Pharmacon and learning and education. And I realized something really troubling. The entire training class had a very clear focus on content, right? Because this is what you fill your course shell with. So you have to have this bit of, or I don't say that, let me rephrase that. A well-designed course will have this bit of content first, and this bit of content will emphasize A, B, and C, and it will then point to this bit of content, hmm. which should clearly outline what's to follow. And you should have all of this stuff arranged in a certain way. The focus was very clearly, entirely really, emphasized on how to organize your content. I, I mean, it, you could mistake in, in, in spirit, you could mistake it for a class on interior decorating. These are the things that go here. These are the things that go there. We don't want to put feng shui, feng shui, feng shui, I, right? It is. There was very <laughs> little discussion about the rhetorical effects yeah. of technology other than to say, that certain things had to be made visible and that these were ways that we could emphasize something's visibility. But one of the things that's really, really central to having bodies in a classroom, to having the classroom experience, it's not just the interaction. I think that we run the risk of prioritizing that over looking at the nature of the interactions. You know. One of the things that we can do and we, uh, in, in a classroom when we actually are, when we have presence, is we can redirect. We can foreclose certain things. We can say, ignore that, pay attention to brilliant this. Brilliant point. Whereas in, in the, and, and so, and again, I think That's certain technologies point. allow for this, right? Like as we're having this discussion here, um, you know, I'll say something and at some point you're probably going to roll your eyes and lean back in your chair or I'm going to you're going to say something and I'm going to respond to it. And we will we'll engage in those ways. We'll recalibrate. 
but I think one of the jobs that is implicit but often misunderstood about teaching is the need to direct or redirect. You know, this was one of the things I found very challenging about teaching with masks on was that I, yes, it, yeah. I did I've not, heard many I, I, say that. I, I lost, I lost 60% lost of, of the nonverbal communication, which was so incredibly important. So, you know, there's this, this focus on content that does not account for the effect of technology in terms of how it directs us. You know, um, I, I think about my, my experiences with this on, on my end of the screen, you know, it's, it's where's the next button to get me to the next screen? How do I advance from one student to the next? There's, there's, there's very little, um, I, I, there, there are very little, there are very few opportunities for engagement. Michael, I'm fascinated by what you say because you made me realize how important, and I've never heard anybody say this, but I think you're, I think you're really onto something. Your, your description of what teachers do brings, uh, you're drawing attention to something that we, I think most discussions of teaching and education and what happens in the classroom, whether online or not, kind of really kind of, they, most of these discussions overlook this primary fact that a teacher is a host. Mm -hmm. A teacher is a facilitator. A teacher, one of the things that teachers do, and it's rarely discussed, but maybe it's arguably, I started thinking when you were talking, maybe it's one of the most important things that teachers do is that they're good hosts. They're good discussion facilitators. They're good moderators. They're good hosts slash moderators. And that it is a skill. And maybe this is indirectly an argument for physical participation or the creation for physical participation in the classroom or an argument for the physical classroom or that we need to get the online stuff. Um, um, we need to work on, the, on creating an online environment that would allow for this. But one of the crucial things that happen in an educational moment is that teachers spark discussion. They lead discussion. They, they also know how to restart discussion when discussion, this is what you were talking about. They know how to restart discussion when discussion flags. That's why you need a teacher. Uh, it's both a humble role and a very, very crucial role. So... I don't know. Let, let, I, I want to sort of to throw it back to you and say, well, what do you think? Of, would you agree with that? And if so, how does that have a bearing on the discussion? Well, I, I do. And I think about, so I'm guessing that you'll agree with me, but I would say the overwhelming majority of the time that I walk out of a classroom and likely anytime you've walked out of a classroom and you sit there and you say, man, I had a good class today. Yeah. The core of that statement is tied to we had a really interesting discussion. Discussion. Right. Yeah, that is absolutely. always the answer. If I give a quiz and everybody does really well, that doesn't make a good class. Right. It's good. I feel good. I feel good for the students. I feel good about myself. I, you know, was able to impart some learning. Right. And they filled in the bubbles. But the really good class is what's satisfying 
is where you see the thought processes working. And, you know, certainly it's something that can be done. Technology doesn't kill this, right? I'd like to think that, uh, you know, our interactions here are interesting and they are certainly enabled technologically. But at the same time, what happens in these asynchronous classes is that an assignment will open and you will have a small percentage of students who will rush to post and get their work, rush to post, get their work done. And then they yeah. take note of the next of the time the next module opens or the, if, if you yeah. leave everything open, they'll rip through the whole class in a week. Right. Yeah. But, but the majority of students will see, OK, so this module closes tonight at midnight. It's 1045 p.m. I'm going to hop on and do all four discussions right now. I'm going to read the I'm going to read the question. I'm going to throw something out there and I'm done. And so, you know, we talk about what do these technologies encourage? What are the effects of these technologies? The prize, right? The, the shiny side of the Pharmacon coin says, oh, we have convenience. Okay. But what convenience allows for are other things in life to take precedence, right? We can fit this in around a job or around my kids or around whatever it is they do. I'm not saying that oh, they're less important, yeah. right? Yeah. But what we're doing is we are marginalizing this. We're trying to fit the thought process into a slot that does not allow, here we go, we'll, 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 we'll re you know, we, we're going to get all our big terms in today. We've talked about the Pharmacon. I'm going to bring Bernard Stiegler back in and talk about noesis, right? Like it does not allow for contemplative thought. If you are asked to explain something, you will think about it quickly, what is that term? I will tap into my learning reserves and boom, here's my regurgitated response to you that I know is right. This will get me points. We don't think about it. And more importantly, the exchange is very limited, right? Any response I can offer at that point comes after the deadlines. Any mm. response a peer may offer comes after the deadlines. So we don't, open up for thought. So what, what we have is we have words, but we don't have discussion. Yeah. Hmm. Now, again, I think this is the problem with asynchronous learning. I'm not uh, so convinced that Zoom has this problem or any other platform that allows for this, but what we do invite there, and I, you know, you, you've, you, you've got plenty of experience doing this, so I don't know if you've seen this or not, the problem there, to my eye, is less about time, but it's more about the encroachment of other distractions. Yes, I think that, I think you hit it exactly. My exasperated sigh a moment ago was because the problem that you outline with asynchronous classes, I honestly I don't know how to solve it because the whole format, the whole structure of the asynchronous class because there's a temporal nature because of the deadline nature. It seems like the possibility of process and improvisation is kind of, it's null and void from the very beginning. Would you agree with that? Well, no? it's, po it's possible, you know, I could post a discussion forum today and require yeah. that all my students respond today. And then I can spend all day tomorrow responding to those students and then require that the day after tomorrow, they all come back 
and respond again. Oh, so but you what could you create do then, a structure that would allow could, a process. But okay. instead of talk now, what I've done is I have made a class that is marketed to be convenient, wildly time consuming, that would require <laughs> multiple check. I mean, it would, it would, it would absolutely be the, the, the nature of the technology that is supposed to be so freeing and liberating would now become wildly time consuming and incredibly inefficient. And a wildly inconvenient and, yeah. in, and inefficient. Okay. And, and this, I think this is where we see clearly that these technologies do shape the nature of our engagements, right? You right. come into a classroom, you can say, okay, for the next hour, hour and a half, two hours, three hours in some cases, right? We're going to sit here and we're going to talk. And that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to go. And now the time that's spent between meeting one and meeting two, you know, in theory, those ideas rattle around. We see things and then we connect them to those ideas. And then we come back and we get to class next time. So, you know, a funny thing happened this week. I was thinking about last week and I saw this happen at the grocery store. And boy, I see how that works. You just don't, you don't get that. You don't have that inner, right, right. Michael, I was struck by... Uh, what your comments on the problems that are that that might be inherent with the Zoom classroom, and you uh, notice something that I've observed that the Zoom experience, um, because it's online, it allows for a possibility of multitasking, perhaps that we've never dreamed of. We never dreamed of. Um, uh, the ways in which multitasking can be a temptation in the Zoom classroom. Uh, I don't know if anyone <laughs> could have imagined, you know, it's interesting to think of, did the creators of Zoom imagine that once it was taken up and used for, uh, as the major platform for meetings, including classroom meetings, did they realize the enormous potential for multitasking and therefore distracted viewing. I, you know, it's interesting. I wonder if they did, but I mean, I think you're right. That is the main problem, the besetting problem faced by the Zoom classroom. Oh, what else do you have to say about that? Or what, what are your other thoughts in the experience? Is there any way to fix it? So I don't, you know, I, I think that that's a, that's a dangerous question in a way. Right. Is it's there a way? Pharmacon question, right? Because Pharmacon doesn't say you fix things or does. Well, it? I think it harkens back to a to a, a fairly to to an anachronistic model of teaching, mm -hmm. right? To say is there a way to fix it is to say in my ear is to say is there a way that I can clamp down and exert more control over what my students see and do. But and, of course that was what I was asking. So you, right? you figure that out. And, and, and that's, 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 you know, for reasons that <laughs> should be obvious is sort of problematic, but I think that it speaks to, again, the role of the teacher in a classroom, right? I am famous. If any, any of my students who may be listening that can attest this, I am famously I don't want to say famously, wildly susceptible to the tangent and the rabbit hole. Okay. I am not unlike a five-year-old in a room full of shiny objects. I mean, if something pops into the brain, if something gets said, I'll chase it. But I think an area where that tendency can actually be productive is that I'm very good 
at bringing things back. And so what happens is in a classroom where there are distractions, because there are, right? Somebody says something, something happens, we go down a tangent. I think a skilled teacher is going to be able to bring that distraction back into the fold. Say, ah, so this thing happened. We were talking about it. Find this connection, right? Whereas what happens with something in a, in a, in a live online classroom, like a Zoom classroom, your distractions are invisible to me. I can't and that's, see And them. so you can't moderate them. You know what? I think your example, which I agree with, um, and it resonates with me, but I think your example shows is it's yet more evidence of the importance of the teacher as moderator, as moderator, because when you're talking about that ability to bring the discussion back, that is, again, another example of, uh, of, the, of, a te- of the teacher as moderator. But it's also... Skill. But, it, mm-hmm. but it's also emblematic of the nature. You know, we talk again about technology shaping perspectives, mm-hmm. right? When you are in your own room in front of your computer and we're all on the same screen and I can see yeah. you, I mean, I'm assuming that most listeners are familiar with the Zoom experience here, right? Mm-hmm. I am still quite literally alone. And what and you're I unable have, to moderate. Right? I, yeah, and the, so yeah. so I, I I am a part of a community in one sense, right? I'm like but the intro not. screen to the Brady Bunch. Yeah. We all get our own little box, okay? But I'm still isolated. I'm in my space. And so what I do is, I guess that's the thing. What I say is a part of the class and my facial expressions are part of the class, but what I'm doing is mine. I'm still isolated and alone there. And so the nature of community is still very much and unavoidably limited in this regard. And so maybe, so, so that's, that's, I I think that's the thing. And I don't want to sound like, you know, someone who is opposed to this. I'm not against online education or technology in the classroom, but, you know, uh, well, let me, let me, let me, let me pause. My takeaway from this, let's, let's wrap this up. I'm, I'm thinking about all of this and I'm not opposed to it. I'm not against it. I think that there are, you know, the, the, I've, I've called it the shiny side of the pharmacon is good and there's value in that. But I think that my takeaway from this is that we really need to be much more cognizant of the fact that there are costs that are significant and that these costs come from the fact that we fail to realize that education is not a good. It is not a noun. It's a verb. And yeah. that we need to really it's an action. reconsider the implications of some of these costs and the perspectives that we have. So that, that's, I think that's my takeaway. I don't have answers. Today's, today's my, my, my day without answers. What, what, what do you, what do you take from this? Well, I'm going to, my takeaway is going to be a little bit of a provocation and a little bit, it's going to have an element of to be continued because in my takeaway is going to be a polemical statement that I may not totally agree with, but I'm going to throw it out there and see if we revisit it when we return to the topic of mediated education in our next episode. But here's, 
Here's my takeaway, especially in light of this last part of our discussion. I'm gonna keep your frame, our frame of the Pharmacon. And I would say my takeaway from our discussion is that the asynchronous classroom, because it limits the ability of the teacher, because of the time constraints, because of the structure, because of its structure, I will say unilaterally, the asynchronous classroom is more poison than cure. Whereas the Zoom classroom, even keeping in mind your criticisms, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Like I said, I don't know if I believe in this, but I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna use this as my takeaway and see if I revisit it next time. Asynchronous classroom as a pharmacon, more poison than cure. Zoom classroom, almost evenly balanced between the poison and the cure. So that's my takeaway. We'll right. see. We'll see if I maintain it. See how it holds up. Well, Barry, um, as always, it's been a delight sharing this Zoom space <laughs> with you. And a pleasure. And I, I feel like today it's just been, it's been all cure. I, I, <laughs> I, got, I got all cure today. Have, <laughs> have, 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 a great, have a great day and uh, I'll, I'll see you next time. All right. Until next time, Michael. Right, take care, Barry. Hey there, one more thing real quick. If you have questions or comments about what we've talked about, go ahead and drop us an email from our website at www.criticalmediastudiespodcast.com. Or you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Critical Media Studies Pod. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. To find out more about the show, check out our webpage at criticalmediastudiespodcast.com.